We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. And some of you might wonder, why is Pastor wearing gloves this morning? It's not that cold. We've had uh, some nice weather here. Uh, Don't see any snow on the ground. But I wore these up here for you to think about this. Uh, Have you looked at a pair of gloves and thought much about them before? Gloves are created for our hands to be in and to do work. Uh, You can have gloves for all types of things, from welding to uh, garden work or, uh, you know, just to keep them warm from the weather. But think about the fact that a glove without a hand is useless. A glove without a hand in it does nothing. And this morning, as we look at God's word, we need to understand that a life without the Holy Spirit can do nothing to glorify God. And so this morning, we want to be people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with the wisdom of God so that in everything we say and everything we do, God would be glorified. This morning, I pray that we would understand and know that without the Holy Spirit in our lives, we cannot walk wisely. Without the Holy Spirit in our lives, we cannot even understand the will of God. I don't know about you, but I've been asked that question for years and years. How do I know the will of God? Without the Holy Spirit dwelling in your life, you cannot know the will of God. And without the Holy Spirit in our life, you will not experience a Spirit-filled life of joy and thanksgiving. We have to go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, which we were at a few weeks ago, in which it says, be imitators of God, and then it says to walk. And so when we look at chapter 5, when it says walk in love and walk in holiness and walk in light and walk in humility, these things cannot be done apart from the Holy Spirit living in the life of the believer. You cannot imitate God. You cannot walk as Jesus walked without the Holy Spirit dwelling in your life. Therefore, if you are following along in the notes, the the big idea as we look at Ephesians 5 verses 15 through 21 is this. By being filled with the Holy Spirit, we can imitate Christ and walk in wisdom. Would you look at Ephesians chapter 5 with me? I'll be reading verses 15 through 21. The Apostle Paul writes this and says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you would continue to grant us your grace and that you would fill us up. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill us up with the power, with the joy, the knowledge of knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us up with understanding, that we would know the wisdom 
that is found in the truth of God's word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to live a spirit-filled life of joy, that we would be people who walk wisely in this world. And Father, for any who are here who are not wise but are foolish, I pray that you would reveal your truth to them and you would speak to their hearts. And Father, for any believers who are struggling, going back to the foolish ways, I pray that you would give them the wisdom that you have to give. Empower us this morning. Speak through your word. Make it alive and true in our hearts. Bless the reading and the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Think for a minute the way that you make choices. Think about some choices that you made recently, maybe some large choices. How do you go about making the choices? Do you think through or do you have a process? Are you the type of person who looks before you take that leap? Do you count the cost? Do you make a plan? Do you, are you very organized? Or are you the type of the person who pulls the coin out, flips it, heads, tails, whatever it lands, that's what I'm doing. Think about the decisions you make in life and how you do that. <clears throat> I would argue with you and say this. <clears throat> Just taking time to think through a choice that you're going to make does not mean that you're going to make a wise choice. What we need to do is what Paul tells the believers to do in the text today, and that's examine your walk. That's the first thing we see in verses 15 through 18. He commands believers to walk in a certain way, and really what he's saying is you need to examine how you are living your life every day in everything you say, everything you do, every choice you make. Look at verse 15. Look carefully then how you do what? What is it? What's the word there? Walk. We've seen this repeatedly each week in a row, the last few weeks in chapter 5. Again, it's the same word that's used earlier in the chapter, and it means to order your behavior, to do something uh, within the scope of God's love, but it's to be a continual process. So I'm thankful for the Apostle Paul using the term walk, because if you're walking, you take a step at a time. And that's this picture is as you go through life, every step you take is to be something that you actually examine and to think about and to pray and ask that you would walk wisely. It says don't walk as the unwise, but as the wise. He writes this as a command. So if you are a Christian, he's writing to Christians. And so Christians are commanded to walk in this manner. And one way that we can do this is to remember what we saw in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says that Christians are blessed with all of the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. And that's the one thing that we must take note of as a believer if we are to walk in wisdom. And one of those things which encompasses those blessings is the fact that God Almighty dwells in the heart of the believer. So if you're a Christian, God dwells in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And therefore, we are empowered to be able to walk in a wise manner. But this is only for those who fear God. Proverbs chapter 1 tells us about wisdom. In verse 7, Proverbs chapter 1, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
You see, if you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, and you have a holy fear of God, and therefore can be walking in a wise manner. And the way that we understand and grow in the wisdom uh, and knowledge of God is through knowing Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul tells the church in Colossae, it says, In whom, speaking of Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I know that if you're like me, I like finding treasures. I like finding things that are worth of value. Well, we have the treasure of the wisdom and the knowledge of God found in Jesus Christ. Therefore, as a believer, we need to know Jesus we need to read his word. We need to read what he said, what the apostles uh, continue to point to his life about and how to live. We need to pray and talk with Jesus and listen to him. But it says in Jesus is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Therefore, if you are a Christian, you have been given all the wisdom that you need to live in this world. And that's through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in us. And what Paul basically says here in walking in wisdom is to not stop pursuing growth in wisdom. That we're commanded to do this and to continue. And so it says there in verse 15, it says, look carefully Your version may say examine. You're to do it accurately or to be alert. Have you ever watched someone rock climbing before? Maybe you've done that. If you watch those who do free rock climbing and don't use any ropes, wow, you watch them. They examine where they're going to put their fingertips at. They examine and look at carefully where they're going to put their feet at. You'll see them reach and feel a rock before they actually take the next step in the climb. And that's a sense of a picture of how we should be in every single day. To walk wisely with God is to examine our steps You may think, well, as a believer, if I have the Holy Spirit, if God is dwelling in me, and I've been given all the wisdom for life, this should be easy, right? How many of you would say that you struggle at times with foolish living? Anyone? So you read about King David. You read the Psalms. He writes wonderful, glorious passages of praising God. There's parts where you see him in the depths of his grief and misery, but he's always praising God. I will trust in God. The word of God said David was a man after God's own what? His own heart. What a wonderful statement. Man, for God to say that about you and I would be an amazing statement. But yet, King David acted foolishly, even though he had a heart for God. In 2 Samuel, I believe it's uh, chapter 24, As king, he numbers the people. He has uh, all the nation counted so he can know how many troops they have to fight with. God commanded not to do that. And there was a point at which David comes to his senses and says, Wow, I acted foolishly, Lord. And so even though having the wisdom and knowledge of God, he acted foolishly, and that's something that we as believers still struggle with. We've seen this earlier in chapter 5. Remember the old self? 
The old self is dead. The old man is gone. Yet we still want to go back and mess with the grave clothes at times. And that's the foolish acting and not the wise walking. Therefore, examine your life and examine your every step daily. James is a great book, a great letter for you to spend time in, specifically regarding wisdom and regarding faith and works. But let me ask you this. When was the last time that you said, God, please give me wisdom today? Holy Spirit, give me wisdom to make a right decision. Because James makes it very simple in chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. I mean, can it be any simpler than that? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. God says, ask for wisdom, and he is the one who is generous, and he will give it to you. I mean, if we ask for foolishness, God's not going to give us the foolishness, but if we ask for the wisdom of God, of course, he's going to bless us because he wants us to walk in wisdom. So when was the last time that you stopped and asked for wisdom? Maybe it's something every day you need to do when you first get up. Holy Spirit, I need the wisdom today to be able to walk in the right way, to walk wisely and not in the foolish ways. And it's important we do this because verse 16 says that we don't have much time. Look at verse 16. It says, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Some of you may be given 100 years of life like Billy Graham. And yet some of you may only be given 20 years of life or less than that. A man named Samuel Morris, a prince from uh, Liberia in Africa, he became a Christian at age 14. At age 18, he came to the United States, and on the first night he was here, led, I think, like 20 people to the Lord. And during the two years that he was here, he witnessed and ministered to a number of people, and he died at age 20 from a respiratory infection. But yet his life in that short time affected so many people that they went out into the mission field to tell people about Jesus. What are you doing with your days? What are you doing with your time? Because some of you may not be here next Sunday. Some of you may go home to glory with God this week, and you might say, that's a horrible thing to say. But it's true. It could be. There's a certain time that God has given us. The elders right now and the pastors and then the men's study that's starting in a couple weeks, we're doing a, a book, a study on Nehemiah, and there's, the title of the book is Living Your Dash. I might have mentioned it before that everyone on their tombstone has a birth date and there's a death date, but then what's right in the middle? It's a dash. What are you doing with the dash of your life? That's what he says here, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. You see, this world wants to come against any believer who wants to impact the world for the name of Jesus Christ. Your time may be or is, in a sense, in this world running out. I can remember a movie years ago called The Dead Poets Society, and Robin Williams has a whole bunch of these young men together, and he says this, he says this carpe diem. He's, they're all looking at this picture. He's like, can you hear them? And he's talking about seizing the day. Well, that's what we're encouraged to do. Walk in wisdom. Make the best use of your time because you don't know the day that you're going to meet your Lord and Savior. There's a sense of urgency that must be a part of walking in wisdom. The foolish waste their life. 
The wise in Christ will understand the will of God. And that's what we see in the second point in verse 17 is the need to understand God's will. How many of you have ever asked the question or said, hey, I want to know what God's will for my life is? Anyone? I have that, had that question repeatedly for the last 20 years of my life. People will say, Pastor, how do I know the will of God? I'm like, that's a wonderful question. And when I began to give them an answer, which we see here in the text, so they're like, no, I don't mean that. What I mean is, who am I going to marry? Um, what job should I have? <clears throat> what major in college? After the third one I chose. Those are important questions, but the Bible never answers those. The Bible doesn't answer those. That's not this picture. How do I know God's will? Who I'm going to marry in these things here? I'm going to find it in God's word. No. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The foolish man looks for anything under the sun to fill their life for enjoyment and joy in this world. But the foolish man also makes decisions not based according to God's world, but word, but according to their own mind and their own life decisions. And so some of you have seen the smartest people in the world make the most foolish decisions with their life, and they waste their life. A lot of the questions that we ask when we say, I want to know God's will, in all reality, are secondary they're not bad questions, and we should pray and seek God with them, but we are not told in Scripture, again, these things of choose this job, do this, and this way. God's will is found in Scripture. If you want to know God's will, go to His Word, because God's very clear his will is found in His Word. It's not in some dream, some vision, some plan that you write out. God's will for our life is found in the Word of God. Some of us have some great ideas. And some of us think, this has got to be of God. That light bulb goes off in our mind. We're like, we start writing the plans. We start getting excited. It's like, this has got to be of God. And yet, so many times, people will make a decision then and wonder why it went horribly wrong. It's because it was never a part of God's will. I think of Genesis chapter 11 when all these people gather and they start building this tower to make a name for themselves, to be a people. And God's like, no way. He confused their language. The Tower of Babel scattered the people. They thought it was a good idea. It wasn't the will of God. Remember the night that Jesus was arrested? As he was being arrested, they came, what did Peter do? He did what? He pulled his sword out, right? And he cuts the ear off the servant of the high priest. And Jesus rebukes Peter. Peter's like, this is a good idea. We got to protect God. We can protect Jesus here. And as he, he's like, Peter, put your sword away. It's not my will. It's not my plan. And I can tell you this. There's so many times in my life where I will rest on my wisdom, or really my foolishness, and I'll make a decision and wonder why it went bad is because it wasn't a part of God's will for my life. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. We were told this from the very beginning of this study, what God's will is. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 is very clear. 
It says in verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That is the will of God found in the mystery of Christ, which is to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. When we read through the word of God, there's numerous passages of scripture which says this is the will of God. And Ephesians has been very clear with us as we read that being saved, faith in Jesus Christ alone, is part of God's will for us. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, being the word being baptized by the Holy Spirit, when you come to faith in Christ, is a part of the will of God. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 4 says that when we are saved, God's will is that he also seals us with the Holy Spirit for the day that we will be with him for eternity. And he does not lose us. I was reading this week in 1 Thessalonians, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 says this, for this is the will of God. you like, whoa, pay attention there. For this is the will of God. It says your sanctification. Sometimes we don't like our sanctification because it can mean suffering. It can mean running through, hitting that wall of tests in our life. It can all these things because if, sancti- if you don't know again what sanctification, I try to always tell you, sanctification means growth in Christ. It means I'm not there yet. God's still working on me until the day I'm with him in glory. But it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. All of these things, God has a plan, and it's his will for our life, and it's found in his word. Not by flipping a coin, not by going and talking to the wisest person in this world who's sitting in some building somewhere that can decipher something for you. God's will is found in the word of God. Therefore, you need to read the word of God. You need to spend time in the Word of God. Maybe for some of you, it is taking and reading through the Bible in a period of time. Maybe for you, it's spending time just in Ephesians chapter 5 this week and dwelling on a verse, memorizing it in your heart. But either way, we know that God's will is found in His Word. And if we want the understanding, the Holy Spirit of God's going to give us the understanding. So go to God's Word to know and understand His will. And pray about it. And ask the Holy Spirit to give you the wisdom that is available to you. Because if we do this, if we are walking in wisdom, led by the Holy Spirit, then we can see what we see in in, in verse 18. The third point is being filled with the Spirit. And the fourth thing we'll see in a minute, a Spirit-filled life. Verse 18 is one of those verses you're like, why is it in there? And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Or it means it leads to self-destruction. You're like, wait, that's kind of weird. Why is it there? Well, he's using it as an opposite example of where he says, be filled with the Spirit. But let me just make this real simple for us, what God's Word says. Wine is not bad, but being drunk with wine is bad. Let's move on. You know what I mean? As Christians, we make alcohol a really hard thing to deal with at times. Because of tradition, because of background. Well, I interpret this way or this way. Well, here's, here's a few things from God's word for us. The Apostle Paul here does not prohibit or ban drinking alcohol. 
the word of God actually promotes the wise use of wine throughout Scripture. The word of God always, 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 always denounces and condemns being drunk with wine. You go through and read, the, read God's word. There's nothing that supports anyone ever being drunk with wine. It actually points out that drunkenness leads to destruction and ruin. Paul here has been using the theme of not living like the Gentiles. And so don't live like that old way and getting drunk. The book of Proverbs has so much wisdom for our life. And repeatedly, the book of Proverbs says don't be drunk because drunkenness leads to destruction. One of those is in Proverbs 23. It says in verse 20 and 21, be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and the slumber will clothe them with rags. And on and on through just the book of Proverbs itself, the drunk person, it leads them to destruction and trouble. Some of you may disagree with this, but when I read scripture, sometimes the Bible actually praises Drinking wine. You're like, not at all. Pastor, can't believe you said that. It does. Proverbs 31, verse 6, it says, Give strong drink to a dying man. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy, one of the guys he's discipling, who he puts in the church and says, hey, raise up elders in that church. He says, hey, take a little wine in, in 1 Timothy 5 because you have those stomach problems. Like, oh, it's horrible. Apostle Paul told him to drink wine. Here's the reality. In Christ, we have a freedom given to make certain decisions in this world. And one of them is in regards to drinking alcohol. You do not have the freedom to get drunk. You do not have that freedom at all from God's word. So here's a few things to think about. <clears throat> Ask yourself these questions regarding drinking wine, drinking alcohol. Is alcohol or wine so vital and essential and necessary for me? Just ask that. Ask yourself, do I really need to have that? Have I struggled in the past with it being a habit? Ask yourself, is this the wisest thing for me to do when I'm with other people? Think about believers that you may be around. Because Paul warns of certain actions that we do can cause another believer to stumble. You may not have a problem, but they may. Ask this, will drinking alcohol harm or affect my opportunity to be a light of Jesus Christ to the lost? Those are just a few questions. I'm sure you come up with even better ones. So I'm not telling you don't drink. What I'm telling you is what the Apostle Paul says here. Don't be drunk. And watch how you live your life and do it wisely. Because he says, as the example, don't get drunk with wine because that leads to destruction. He says, but be filled with what? Verse 18. With what? Be filled with what? 
the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't lead to destruction. It actually leads to edification and joyful life. John chapter 7, Jesus says this. John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39 it says, actually, he cries this out there at this feast. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Again, the wonderful, glorious thing for you as a believer and I as a believer is that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. God Almighty dwells in us and empowers us with wisdom to walk in a right way. And here's something that you must get down because to understand where he goes in this, know this, the Holy Spirit of God never, ever, ever leaves you. Are you clear? We're going to talk about filling. The Holy Spirit never leaves you because if the Holy Spirit leaves you, you're not saved. And Ephesians 1 says we're sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. If, if Christ has declared that he never leaves us or forsakes us, God does not leave the believer. The Holy Spirit never leaves you. But yet, well, why does he say be filled? Because when you read uh, passages like in Acts chapter 2, it says that they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. The picture of being baptized with the Holy Spirit is when you are saved and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and dwells in your heart. But in other passages in the New Testament, it says be filled. And what happens in the church is people, they, they take the word. They don't take the context of the, the verse it's written or the paragraph or the chapter or the letter or within the New Testament, within the whole scope of the Bible. And all kinds of crazy things are made up when it says be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul, the Word of God here is not teaching that you get a, a, a portion of the Holy Spirit or a puzzle piece and then another day you get another part. And, and one, you know, I got this little portion of the Holy Spirit, and yet it says be filled, so I'm going to get another portion today. And No, when God indwells you as a believer, the fullness of God dwells in you. But yet he says be filled with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes people are fearful of those things, especially if you've got the King James Version, because we're talking about the ghost, right? Talking about the Holy Ghost, and the way our world thinks about it, it's like, wait, wait, the ghost, that's a weird thing. And what I think happens in the church today is there's, there's, there's a problem. Either churches emphasize this stuff about the Holy Spirit to such a wrong degree that it affects a certain way, and there's churches that are so afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit that you don't even know that you can live a Spirit-filled life. There's got to be a balance, and it's found in the Word of God and the whole context of the Word of God, not just some simple thing that we say, be filled with the Spirit, and then we preach millions of sermons on it or teach all kinds of things or write every book under the sun. No, we have the wisdom of God. Therefore, we read it. The reason we go in, in verse by verse here is that the context of Scripture so we can understand and not build up man's own theology. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a picture of turning on a light switch off and on. Because I think what happens is sometimes we say, be filled with the Holy Spirit, oh, I better flip that switch. I can tell you I've been in services where Christians gather and it's like we flip the switch the Holy Spirit switch. Someone go run the back and flip the switch. The keyboard player is starting. It's like, the flip, it's like we flip the switch and then instantly everyone in the room is like, 
A million people are speaking in tongues. There's all kinds of craziness going on, and there's chaos. Now, spiritual gifts are real and true. But the apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinth is that there is order in worship because God's a God of order. And I can tell you at times when I've been in places where it felt like, flip the holy switch, there's chaos. And if scripture says, hey, people have a gift of tongues and someone has a gift of interpretation, I've yet to see that actually happen in a healthy, orderly manner according to scripture. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I've yet to see that. It says, be filled with the Spirit. So what does it not mean? Here's a few things to think about. Being filled with the Spirit does not mean all of a sudden, whoop, I'm just overtaken with this emotional action and saying some weird things that no one can understand. That's not a picture of this being filled with the Spirit according to what Paul writes here. Being filled with the Spirit is not doing something good for God and then uh, that he wants us to do, and then he just pours out his blessing upon us. Um, all believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit at the moment we are saved. Again, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. I'm repeating this to you so that you get this down. Romans 8, verse 9 says this. You, how, you however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So do you understand what we're seeing here? If the Holy Spirit for some reason leaves the believer, it says, you do not belong to Him. And it contradicts Scripture, and then it makes everything a lie. Ephesians chapter 1 says that when we're saved, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, we're adopted as His children, we're given an inheritance that we will one day be with Him And so the Holy Spirit lives in us and doesn't leave us. But yet, do you remember Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 a few weeks ago? Turn back a page or two to where you're at there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Two powerful truths for us here. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Remember, we spent some time on that. When we act foolishly, we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And if you go back to chapter 1, when the Holy Spirit indwells in us and we're sealed, the Holy Spirit does not leave us, but at the same time, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Paul says, be filled. It's like when you go to the gas station and your car is on empty, you put gas in it, right? Because without gas, you're going nowhere. And it's a glimpse of that thing for the believer is every single morning we need to pray and say, Holy Spirit, Fill me up. I need the filling of the power of God today so that I can walk wisely, so that I don't make foolish decisions, so that I can discern the will of God and live it out in my life. Being filled here, if you look at the verse when it says, but be filled, being filled means be being kept filled. So what it means here and the way that he writes it, it's, it's not an option. It's a command. It's a continual thing of being filled. We need to be constantly, what he's writing here, being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And we don't like that word. That's why we act in foolishness. That's why we don't follow God's will. Is because I want to do what I want to do. God, some days I'll, I'll let you control, but not today. But yet, When he says and uses the wording here, being filled, it's a picture of being controlled 
by the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God says none of us can control the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God does what the Holy Spirit of God is going to do, so you can't make yourself be filled. You're like, woe is me. It just says be filled. And it's a wonderful statement because what it does is it causes the believer to trust in the sovereignty of God. That he is the one that does the filling. The Holy Spirit fills us, but at the same time, we in our actions can grieve the Holy Spirit. And though, therefore, we need to be wise and walk and say, Holy Spirit, fill me up. And make that part of what we pray and ask for. And so the word fill, it can be used as a word in, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 of the, of the wind filling the sail of a ship. And so it's like the sail of our heart needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to pray and ask that. The word fill also used uh, in the New Testament means to like infuse salt into meat for preserving. We need the Holy Spirit to preserve us in a decaying world. And so we need to ask for the Holy Spirit's filling. But again, the, the meaning of it here means... To be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Being full of the Holy Spirit means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. You and I cannot fill ourselves. The Holy Spirit must fill us. So this is here, and again, you're going, well, how does all this work? It's a conscious, day-to-day, moment-by-moment submission to Jesus Christ. Read John chapter 15 this week. Abiding in Christ, and Christ abiding in us. You cannot control the Holy Spirit. You cannot flip the light switch off or on. You can only simply ask. And you can go to God's word, and the Holy Spirit will fill you up. God fulfills all of his promises. And therefore, then you can go back and see in chapter 5, verse 1, we can be imitators of God. We can walk in love. We can walk in wisdom. We can walk in humility. We can do these things. John chapter 15, verse 5, it says, Abiding in Christ and Christ in us, this picture of the vine and the branches, this is that picture. And so we yield fruit by the filling of the Holy Spirit in our life. And if the Holy Spirit is daily and continually filling us up, then we can do that last part in verses 19 through 21, verse 4, or the fourth thing is the Spirit-filled life. He says, hey, If you want to know if the Holy Spirit's filling you up, just look at verses 19 through 21. Here's the evidence. Three things. We'll look at two of them real quickly, and the third one will continue into next week. But he says, here's three examples. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I've heard that verse misused so many times by pastors to get up and preach a sermon about singing songs. Now, it is about singing songs, but they don't go through the rest of the chapter. And so they just use this to build some type of thing of what they think worship singing should be like in the church. And that's not what he's writing about. The presence of a song in our hearts and on our lips praising God is evidence of the Holy Spirit filling you up. When I went to Ghana, Africa in 2010, the numbers of places that I went to where Christians were just singing I'm like, what's that singing come from? We're in a marketplace. What are those people singing about? They're singing about Jesus. Are you serious? Because God does something when he fills up the Holy Spirit. We just respond. You might say, well, I'm not a good singer. I could never be up on the stage. It's not about the voice that comes out. It's about your heart as he writes on here. Verse 19 says, with your heart towards the Lord. So, Briefly, psalms are Old Testament psalms put to music. You can go and read through some of the psalms the Old Testament says put to this song. Hymns 
are most likely songs of praise written by the early church that they sang. Spiritual songs are any music declaring the truths of God's word. And then it says, here it says addressing or speaking, and then it says singing with our voice. It says making melody, and actually it means to pluck the strings of like a harp or an instrument. Some of you are like, man, we should never have an electric guitar in the church. That's an instrument of the devil. Or how about those drums or any of those things? You read through the Psalms and like King David's like, hey, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Let the cymbals crash. And it's like, play the music loudly. And it says, uh, what is it? Is it Psalm? I'm trying to remember right now. It says, play skillfully. So it all goes back to our heart. But yet what happens is we want our preferences to rule what happens in church. That's why there's consumer Christianity because we come in the door like, gosh, they didn't sing my song today. Man. And we complain. It's not from our heart. Think about the ages, the songs they sang in the early church that we may not even know. You probably would be like, man, I can't stand that song. Some of you are like, oh, I love this. The wording of this song is awesome. Well, that's true. I can't handle this one my kids listening to, but yet they may be so drawn to the Lord. The reality, though, is what he says. It's from our heart and it's grounded in the truth of God's word. Therefore, you could ask Trissa. I, I, I asked a while back, say, hey, let's not sing that song again because I think this word uh, in this song portrays this and it may give someone a totally wrong view of God's love for us. We pay attention to those things, but it comes back to our heart. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Read Psalm chapter 40 in which it says that God puts a song in your mouth. You ever even been by yourself? You're just outside, you just maybe, you're like, I hope no one's listening. You just sing because you love Jesus. God puts that in your mouth. I think of Paul and Silas in jail in Acts chapter 16. They've been whipped and beaten. They're bloody. It's midnight, and they're in jail in chains and stocks. And what are they doing? They're singing praises to God. It goes back to your heart, but that's a picture of the Spirit-filled life. The second example is an attitude of thankfulness, which is evidence of the Holy Spirit filling us up. Verse 20, it says in our text here, giving thanks always and for everything. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, listen to children when they pray and thank God for all kinds of crazy, random little things. You're like, man, I didn't even think about that. Thank you, Lord, that the ant made it across the sidewalk. You know, it's like, you think about these little things they ask for. It's like, be thankful for everything and be thankful always. If you're struggling and, and walking in foolishness, maybe ask yourself, man, have I been thankful of what God has done, and maybe start with this. Think about this fact this week. Because you are a sinner before God, you deserve the wrath of God and hell for eternity. But God, in Christ Jesus, by his grace, sent his son to die for you on the cross in your place for your sins so that you would be forgiven, that you would be made a child of his and brought near, and you have an eternity with Jesus. That's what we should be thankful for. The Holy Spirit-filled life 
is thankful for what God does. And the last one says submitting. And some of you are like, whoa, what are we getting the word here? We're going to pull in this next week. And some of you, I told you, hey, uh, we're going to come to this thing where it talks about how Jesus loves the church and husbands and wives and people don't want to do the submitting thing and men don't want to love their wife. Don't leave. Come back next week. Maybe you have some friends you need to invite and bring them next week. Submitting to one another is not just for husbands and wives, though. He talks about children and their parents. He talks about slaves and masters and these things, and we get into it. But submitting to one another is a part of the spirit-filled life. So I want you to think about this as the worship team comes forward. When you look at verses 19 through 21, do you see that in your life? Is that a picture of a spirit-filled life in you? Because again, as I, as I had these gloves on at the beginning, again, they were meant to have hands in them, to do work. You are not going to do anything that God has called you to do. You cannot imitate Him. You cannot walk in His way. You cannot understand the will of God. And you cannot live a Spirit-filled life unless the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart. If you're here and you've been far from Christ, Jesus Christ loves you greatly and he has given up everything for you. And he says, believe in me and you'll have eternal life. And the Holy Spirit will dwell in your heart. And we want to walk with you that you would grow in his ways. And believer, Christian, Holy Spirit dwells in you. If you're struggling with the foolishness, go to the word of God. You want to know the will of God for your life? Go to God's word. You want to have that spirit-filled life? Holy Spirit, fill me up today. Because you can try all the right things you can do. You can go to church, you can go to studies, go all kinds of stuff. And yet, apart from the Holy Spirit filling your life and working in you, you're just going to spin your wheels. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask this morning that you would use your word hearts and our life. I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would save those in this room who don't know you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill them up. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work in our lives as believers, that we would be filled with the power and knowledge of Christ, understanding the will of God, walking in the wisdom that you have provided for us, that we would glorify you and praise your name all the days of our life. In Jesus' name.